And good morning. Oh, what a nice day out there. Like a bride. Oh, my goodness. I guess it's kind of a, a, a fresh thing in my mind because we're going through the book of Revelation and, you know, we're at that place where we're talking about the two Babylons and that can be a little discouraging. And uh, But then all of a sudden we were introduced to chapters 19, 20, and 21, man, where we begin to see the bride and the millennial reign of Christ and you and I ruling and reigning, man. I just can't wait, I'm telling you. And not that my life is all that difficult, but I still can't wait for Jesus to come back. Amen, guys? Hey, listen, I got to tell you something. I had a great night last night. You want to hear that? Yeah. Well, listen, yeah, you know, I, I had a chance to go to uh, a class reunion last, yeah, uh, last night. And uh, they were graceful enough to let the old man pray over the, have a moment of silence and pray over the meal. And, uh, but I just, I just couldn't get over how many people, my old classmates and friends, are really still open to the gospel. It was just a glorious thing, man. So I had mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. You guys were praying for me. And, uh, you know, I just love my old friends and I'm praying them into the kingdom. How about you guys, right? I mean, what would heaven be like without our loved ones and our friends, right? Listen, this is something I share all the time, kind of off the beaten track here. Um, But, you know, um, there's a lot of things that we could um, long for or we could desire or um, that's really meaningless. The wealth, you know, the riches of this world, though I know we need to live, but that's really not the believer's desire, is it? And the Bible teaches us that God will grant unto us our heart's desire. So for this guy here, I've always made it a point that my number one desire is to see my friends and my family in the kingdom of God with me. You keep that number one, uno, number one, guess what? I just got to believe that the Lord's going to grant to us that desire, right? And so, oh, what about human response? Theology. That, you know, the, forget it. I'm just trusting Jesus. My kids are going to be walking in heaven with me. Right, guys? All right, man. I hope that excites you. So if you would, please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter... No, Mark, don't go there. I misled you. Luke. Luke chapter 19. Just a real quick little story there in our Bible. A, something that literally happened... Uh, while Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. And if you're visiting, I just want to say welcome. Uh, The church right now is going through um, the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And that's the reason, like some weeks we'll be in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and then other weeks we'll be in Mark. But uh, if if I do my calculations right, uh, by the time we're done, uh, we will have covered 95% of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in chronological order. And uh, that that in itself is something that, you know, we will achieve together. But not boastfully, but that that's a goal. I mean, to get to know Jesus like that from the time um, that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word became, you know, in John chapter 1, all the way then to where we see him finally saying, you know, uh, wait into wait in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power, and so we're going to go all the way to the Book of Acts to finish out his life and his ministry. But today, we find ourselves <clears throat> in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Luke's Gospel, 19, starting with verse one. This little Sunday school teacher. Or, pardon me, this little Sunday school story that a lot of teachers will use the flannel, flannel graphs, Zacchaeus, little wee, wee, was whatever, however it went. But it says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was an, a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief, which the chief among the publicans, which would be a tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who, who he was, and could not for the press, for the multitude, because he was of a little stature. We have a few guys around here like that. And he ran, just saying, I'm not naming. And he, he ran before, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was 
to press uh, that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. For today I must abide in thy house. And he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all murmured saying, ah, this he was uh, going to, to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and he said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, if I, uh, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him fourfold. Jesus said unto him, Oh, this day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham... For the Son of Man is come and to seek to save that which is lost. Just ten verses, but let me tell you something, folks. There is a lot to kind of meditate on. Would you stand with me, Bible in hand, and we'll pray together. Father, God, again, thank you for this privilege um, to be together today. and. Thank you for your word. I'm often reminded, Lord, of Psalms 138, where you've taken your word and you've placed it even above your own name. And and you just, you have graced us, Lord, to be able to hold it in our hands, Lord, to read it. And then to make that appeal to your Holy Spirit to make sense of it all. I mean, this is a story, Lord, that Many of us over the years have read over and over, you know. And we, and we love it that you said that you came to seek and to save the Zacchaeuses of the world. But there's something in here that will reveal your heart. And, and it should reveal our own hearts. Lord, Sorry for just rambling on like this, but Father, I'm just praying that your Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say this morning. And thank you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said together, amen. Thank you, guys. I, I, I'll be honest with you, and my confession is this. Um, I'm not a real big topical person. I, it's it's kind of easy for me to go verse by verse through the entire Bible, and and so when we land on scriptures that might cover a whole a whole chapter, um, I go right into expositional mode and I start to exegete the scriptures and I tear things apart. And to be quite honest with you, I just I love it. It's a passion. This is what I do overseas. I teach inductive Bible studies and. Um, but this is a passage, it's only 10 verses long, and there's a lot to really be said. And I think when I do verses like this, my prayer for you and for myself is that, you, you know, your mind would be free of distractions, that you would be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still wants to speak to us, right? Amen, church? Uh, he loves you. I mean, he loves you so much. He wants to have dialogue with you. You know, it's funny. People will come up to me and you go, Harry, I'm trying to figure out God's will. Can you help me? I go, I'm still trying to figure out God's will. What do you mean? You know? But, you know, he loves talking to his sons and daughters. He really does. And that's who you are. So I really love verses like this. And I'm going to be all over the map. I'm going to just throw it out for you. So, you know, I hope you're note takers. But my mind went crazy with these verses. Um, and But just to keep our timeline going, um, Jesus now is roughly around 17 miles outside of Jerusalem. I've been to this place uh, at one time. It's in an occupied area now, but at one time it was almost like the Palm, Palm Springs of Israel. I mean, just beautiful uh, area Jericho, Jericho was. And um, he's, a, he's just li- a, um, maybe a little over a week from dying on the cross. That's how close we are in our timeline. Not that we're going to be done studying his life in a week, but um, there's a lot to cover. But I, I don't know about you, but uh, what, 
where would your mind be? Where would your heart be if you thought you only had eight days to live? What would you do? You know, that, that's sobering, isn't it? Some people would say, oh, well, I kind of would like to know that. Oh, I'm a wimp. I don't want to know anything like that, you know. But Jesus does. Jesus knows it. He knows he's only a week away. In fact, the other gospel says when he looked at his disciples, it said that he set his face aflint. My old King James, that nobody was going to distract him or deter him away from Jerusalem. That he had had his mind and his heart set on going to Jerusalem to die for the likes of us. Isn't that crazy? That he purposed in his heart, not just to die, but he understood because of the prophetic messages. We have Psalms 22, Isaiah 53. He knew they would pierce his hands and his feet. He knew that they, according to the other minor prophet, they would pull out his beard. He, he knew that he would be handed over, you know, to the chief priest, then to be handed over to be scourged and mocked. I mean, eight days away from that. That to me, I don't know. I can't make rhyme and reason out of it, but it does this. It causes me to fall deeper and deeper in love with him. That's one thing I think for Calvary Chapel here, that's one thing we got going. We love Jesus, man. We might not be theologians, but I'll tell you what, we love him. Amen, guys? And if you don't, and you're struggling with that, it's not rocket science. You just got to ask him. God's grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Just ask him, Lord, I want to be even more so in love with you. And he'll do that. So he comes, you know, he's only a week away, again, to just to provide that access to have a personal relationship with him. And we find ourselves here in verse 1. And I'll be jumping around at different verses just trying to make several points here. Um, but again, try to follow along with me. Then Jesus entered, and now this is out of the new king, pardon me. But it says, um, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And again, we love tearing verses apart around here. That word Zacchaeus <clears throat> um, can be also translated pure or righteous. Whenever a parent named their child in the ancient days, the biblical times, they, this would be a real thing to do. I mean, they would sit down and they would just, you know, contemplate or they would just think, what, what, what do we want this kid to be called that will bring honor to the family and would bring honor uh, even to himself? Now, unlike today, we, you know, my brother was Dennis Charles Presley Junior, so mom and dad just thought, "Well, name them after dad." Not, not a bad deal. I, Harry, I, what are you going to get out of Harry? You know, Harry, take out the trash. Harry, do this. Harry, do that. You know, there was a horse called What About Harry? There's What About Harry coming around the end. You know, so that was my, that's my legacy. You know, some racehorse or something. I don't know. But back in biblical days, man, when you named your child something it was going to be a reflection not only on the child but also on the entire family and so there must have been some great hope in the hearts of mom and dad when they would name Zacchaeus pure or righteous I'll bring that up again in a little bit Jericho Again, the scholars, they're always arguing about contradictions. Is he going in? Is he coming out? What's the deal here? Well, actually, uh, they're both right. There, there's two Jerichos. There's the old ancient Jericho, which I had the blessed privilege of actually seeing the walls of that before it came a trash dump um, years and years ago. And, and then there's another modern-day Jericho, that Herod had a big part in building, and that was really called the Roman Jericho. So it could have been from last week's study that he heals blind, Barat blind Bartimaeus as he's coming in one and passes through coming out the other. All of a sudden, now we have this story of this um, tax collector named Zacchaeus. So if you ever read some of these crazy commentaries that are always trying to defute or, you know, find contradictions, but 
there, there isn't any. So listen, if we wanted really to get a theme of this whole section of Scripture, it would be there in verse 10, where it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So you note-takers, maybe you want to jot this. It's a, it's a familiar verse. We memorize this verse that Jesus came to seek and to save. But sometimes looking into the Greek, we kind of, I don't know, we make it more meatier, a substance to it. That word there, to seek, literally means, and there's two different words in the Greek one. Literally, one is just to scope something out, but the other is kind of strong in the aorist tense. It means to seek something out only in order to find something. So Jesus came to seek in order to find something. So if you're here today and you truly know, know that God is in your heart, you know, he came and he sought for you. He was running you down. You know, he knocked on my door in 1973, man, and knocked on it. My life was crazy. And he found me. You know, we think we found Jesus. You ever hear some, I found religion. <laughs> you might have, but it wasn't Jesus. Jesus seeks and say, he finds you, man, wherever you're at, right? And I love that because there's some areas in the world I don't even want to go try to find my pet Jack Russell, let alone a person, you know. And, um, but Jesus will go to the very, very depths. Now, don't, don't, misinter- don't misunderstand me. But he will go to the depths of depravity just to find one Zacchaeus. One. And I know this, gang, and there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But hasn't Christ called us to be like him? He, in fact, that even, even Paul says, walk as I have, no, follow me as I have followed Christ. We are to be mimickers and followers of Jesus. So if Jesus will go into no man's land to find one soul, should that not be a challenge to you and I to go into the den of whatever, maybe one person will come to Jesus? See, sometimes we get this Pharisaic mentality and the Pharisees shunned the religious, I mean, the the tax collectors. They wouldn't have anything to do with. And sometimes Christians are the same way. Pharisaic, Sadducee, whatever ascetic you want to use. But the thing is, man, religion really hinders people from seeking those who really need to be found. That's our job. Go into all the world, baptizing, making disciples. Don't you love this story? Anyway, be that as it may. You know, something about the tax collectors, again, um, they, were, they were despised. And I say this with, um, not with respect, but they, being careful, they were the scum of the earth. Tax collectors, see, we think of little Zacchaeus because he's up in this little tree and Jesus comes by. It makes a great flannel graph story for Sunday school teacher. But this guy didn't have a friend in the world unless he was another tax collector. You know, they were considered um, the scum of the earth. They were detested. They were hated, especially by other Jews. And Zacchaeus is Jewish, you know. And uh, they were always isolated. As far as being the logo, I own the top. Man, he was off the graph. He was off the charts of somebody that was just totally you know, ostracized and just pushed away. No, I, I can't, I can't, honestly, I, I can't even think of a person in my life that fits this, you know, this description. I mean, I've had some crazy friends in my life, but they, some of them had friends, you know, and, you know, but no, not this guy, not this guy. And I don't know if you can really fully grasp, grasp this, you know, um, but there was good reasons why they were so hated. And um, in those days, um, to give you an idea, you were taxed even if you breathe. Yeah, come on, Harry. No, no, no. Flavius uh, Josephus and other UBS, they tell us that during that time period, historians, that if you breathed, you were taxed. And it started when you were 16 years old. 
You, you were taxed on whatever you made or whatever you bought. If you were a farmer, you were taxed 10%. If you owned a luxury thing, you were taxed at 20%. You were taxed on any type of transportation. You would haul your goods to the market. I mean, you were taxed and taxed. And you might be sitting there saying, well, Harris sounds a lot like today. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to get all political and all that and go anti-tax thing. with, But what is an exit tax? <laughs> are you kidding me? We are in the last days, people. That's criminal. Sorry. That's as far as political I'll get. But, uh, you know, but, it, but, that's, but taxation has existed from the earliest civilization we know. And it's always been... A, unfair taxation without representation and all it's and it's dangerous it's dangerous gang and again I'm but this is why I mean none of us probably would go around and have this kind of hostility towards the local IRS guy you know well, maybe you would I don't know um but you, it's important to realize that all these Jewish pardon me all these taxes never went back to benefit Israel or the Jewish people. It was Rome that was doing the taxation. Every place that Rome occupied a country, they established a, a, ta a taxation law. And the way it kind of worked, and you're going, hey, is this necessary to know? I think so, only because we're going to get a full picture of this guy Zacchaeus. But so Rome comes in, they occupy an area, they would divvy it up in um, districts, counties. Then they would go to the local paper and the one ads, and then they would put it out for bid. So if you were a Zacchaeus, then you would bid on a certain district, and if you want it, then they would in turn saying, okay, this is what we want from you, and... It doesn't matter to us how you earn a living from it. So this is where the Zacchaeus then would start to gouge the people. Now Zacchaeus wasn't just a local tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. We've read that in our text. That means he oversaw the district and he might have had anywhere between five to six other tax collector so he would be the one who would go to the local tax collector and saying you know what I need a little bit more so we're going to up the percentage so when Pharisee Phil comes around I hope, I hope there's no Phil here but I'm just but when F Pharisee listen we're going to nail him for eight percent today on that that export and well it was only five yeah yeah but look, I'm going to get eight today and Rome had no law to protect the common people from just um, abusing the system. So that's another reason why they were so disliked. They were considered selfish, hard-hearted, um, the worst kind of people that you would really want to be around. And if you had any contact with anyone, it would probably be only other Jewish pardon me, other tax collectors, and you probably would only meet them, I guess, in the uh, um, the um, tax collecting convention every year that went on or something like that, you know. So anyway, so when it came to the Jewish religious leaders and you brought up a person's name by the, like Zacchaeus, um, they would just berate him. They would just slander him. Now, you and I, we think of that, and we're thinking, well, that's, okay, I get it. But it wasn't just something they were going through. It, was, it had become part of their culture. In fact, if you really wanted to slam or you wanted to curse at someone or you wanted to just use a derogatory thing against someone, you would call them tax collectors. See, the, the Pharisees weren't really allowed to use, like, the swear words of Israel, whatever they were. But they could get away from a real derogatory, berating kind of thing where they're going, oh, he's just a stinking tax collector. And that was an insult. You know, that's throwing down. You know, you're ready to go at it if you, if you called me a tax, tax collector. 
But, uh, and, and we know this because Jesus used the same kind of imagery. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 5. I'll read it to you. But in Matthew 5 he says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? So he's driving home that tax collectors only got along with tax collectors. They had no one else in their camp. Verse 47 of Matthew 5 says, If you greet only the brothers only... What do you do more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do that? Further down in Matthew chapter 18, it says, but if, you will not, if, but if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witness, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear you, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to, tell, uh, to hear the church, well, let him be like unto you a heathen and a tax collector. So, listen, you know, what's the point of all this? He wasn't like that very much. Nowhere. It's safe to assume he's been disowned by anyone he ever loved or ever loved him. There's no family in his life. He's Jewish, but he can't go to the synagogue. A publican was not allowed to be a judge or a witness. He is completely the scum of the earth to people, to, to many people. And he's alone. And yet in our story, we see this guy repenting. How do you know he repented? For a tax collector and a Jew? <laughs> if I had taken anything away from, by false accusation, I'm going to restore it to him. Now, here's the thing that blows my mind. I, it blows my mind, but I love it. We don't, we don't hear the dialogue between Zacchaeus and Jesus in his home. We don't know how long Jesus spent there. We know he took up an entire day if he's having a meal, because mannerisms and t- customs teaches that if you're invited to a meal, it is an all-day thing, man. It's not like you can go down to Trader Joe's and buy one of those healthy handyman meals. If there's such thing as a handyman meal in Trader Joe's, but you're not going to pop one of those babies in and, you know, now they get the grinder out, they grind the meal, they, they make the flat bread, then they get their spices, and then if they're going to do some lamb, they're going to do that. That's an all-day thing. So what conversation went on between Zacchaeus? All I know, whatever it is, he came to a place where he said, man, I got to repent. This is all wrong. Somehow in this little company or this little conversation, we see Zacchaeus repenting. We see him repenting. The whole thing about tax collection during that day, and pardon me, I know I'm dragging this on, um, is you could have made an honest living out of it. You could. Rome allowed you to take a little bit at the top and just be an honest tax collector. But that wasn't Zacchaeus. He was a thief, and he didn't care about his fellow man. He gouged them. And that's how low, low he got. And again, I have to go back to the family. I wonder what expectations they had of him. Can we make personal application with any of this? You know, growing up as a kid, I'm sure my mom and dad's expectation of, uh, of me or for me um, wasn't what I was. I, I know that. And, uh, I think that, you know, they named me after my grandfather. My grandfather was a wonderful man. They thought maybe I would grow up to be like Pop. But I was far from being like Pop. Uh, and that happens. That happens to everyone. It happens to almost every parent that I've ever met whose kids have gone a little south, whose kids had tried to take the road of prodigalism if that's a, a word they go prodigal on them and, and you think I never expected my kid to be a heroin addict I never expected my kid to grow up and steal and be in prison my parent my mother never expected and I'm not going to lay my, laundry, my dirty laundry out there but I know my mom never thought the trouble we got into she never expected it 
Um, but to see the thing is that she missed in the early years of our lives. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I can tell you this, instead of cop cars in front of my house every weekend, we were jumping in our cars going to church every Sunday morning together as a family. That's what God does. He seeks in order to find something. That which is lost, something that's ruined. So I just want to use that as a word of encouragement. Mom, Dad, if you're out there, you're going through something right now. It's his will that none perish, but all come to repentance. Amen, guys? I keep telling folks, just keep the number one desire of your heart is your kids. Not, not fame and wealth and all this stuff that even Christendom today is trying to dump on us. You know, that God wants you happy and excited. And he wants you to have self-esteem. And he wants you to have, really, preach that to Paul the Apostle. Now, this isn't our world, man. It's not my home. I'm just traveling through. How about you guys? I'm just, and I can't wait to get out of this place. That's why I appreciate Richie's song up here, you know. Maranatha, we used to say in the Jesus people day. Maranatha, man. Lord, come quickly. Anyway, again, if you just look again at your text, verse 5, and Jesus came to this place, he looked up, he sees this guy, Zacchaeus, and um, make haste, come down, I want to be with you today. Again, it's, it, this whole picture isn't like we teach in Sunday school. What was that little rhyme? Zacchaeus was a little man, a wee little man was he. That's not the story we have before us today. Verse 6, he says he comes down quickly. He, took, he, takes, he takes Jesus. And again, I could spend another 10 minutes just talking about that. It says Zacchaeus quickly climbs down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. What what was that like, you know? And all the other people are down at him, looking down at him. Where's Jesus going with that stinking scum, you know? You know, why would he ever go with him and do a, that kind of thing? And yet, no little, I don't know. Sometimes I see a guy going, <laughs> I got Jesus, you know? When you have Jesus, man, there's always joy. You know, that's something that I experienced when I first became a Christian. I dealt with a lot of fear growing up. How about you guys? Ever grew with that just uncontrolled fear? I mean, I was fearful of every stinking thing. And yet when I met Jesus, what replaced uh, fear was joy. And the Word talks about joy, unspeakable joy that's so full of His glory. That's why I love worshiping. I love hearing you guys worship, man. Sometimes I wake up happy. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I wake up, cry, uh, uh, you know, a little, what is it, grumpy, but I let her sleep. Thank you that you said that. But uh, <laughs> she's homesick. I can say that kind of stuff. But the joy of the Lord, man, the Bible says the joy of the Lord's our strength. Do you ever see these Christians that walk around like these Eeyores? How many of you guys grew up with Eeyore? How you doing? Woe is me. How's your day going? Well, it was okay, but I had to wake up, you know. Oh, come on, dude. You know, Barry McGuire once told me, man, I was corresponding with him. He says, you know, some Christians are like guys that just stay in the basement digging holes, man. Not me. You know, I just love him, and he's filled us with joy, unspeakable joy. It's full of his glory. And I see old Zacchaeus here. He can't believe that Jesus would take the, a minute out of his day, let alone a whole day. And so you and I should. And we never should shun anybody. No, I don't care who they are. Is there somebody you meet on the street? You know who I look for sometimes? I look for the person no one's talking to. I, I love this thing. Irma and I will go over into the city every now and then. And I love going over and love park. And I just sit with the homeless. But even there, I look for the one that's sitting by himself. And they might have Tourette's. They might have some disorder or something. I have the grandest time sitting there just talking to them and telling them about Jesus and God's love for them, man. So look for people like that. Look for people who are hated. Look for people who have been ostracized by society and reach out to them with the love of Jesus. Make sense, gang? Um, the one thing that helped, helped what I see in this passage 
is the value that Jesus places on, on, on people's lives. He looks at everyone and he says there's value there. He, you know, he, he values the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the cosmos, the world that he gave his own. We can say that. What's there, 7 billion or so now? 6 billion? I, I forgot. I stopped counting. But, um, yeah, he, he does show value. But the picture that I see here with Zacchaeus, he places value on one soul. Just one. Just one. I mean, and, and it's selfish, but when someone turns around because you've just taken the time out for them and they think, I can't believe you just took out a little bit of time to talk to me. See, that's Christ-like. That's what Jesus would do. I, and, I, and sometimes it's a challenge. Look, I, I get it. We say, well, I value my time. You know, time is going by a thousand miles an hour, man. I get up, I put my feet on the floor, I begin to start. I run, man, get, get into work, making sure I get home. Then I got to deal, you know, spend some time with wifey and I got to help with the kids getting in bed. Man, I value every minute of my time. But you know what? God doesn't value um, people on time. He values them on their soul. And when we stop valuing souls, we are so outside of the scope of Jesus, it's frightening. He would stop to make sure they didn't st stone a prostitute. And he would take time. He would go to a wedding. And he would create wine out of water to bless them. There was no reason for the miracle. And he takes time for you and I. And if we're so busy where we're always on the run and we don't just sit quietly before him, I guarantee you, you won't hear his voice. You won't sense his spirit. And when he shows up, as we sung earlier for the, the gathering of his saints, I wonder if we go, oh, that's who you are. When we should know him now. There's two... Listen, two words in the Greek language for knowledge. One is gnosis, where we know him by experiencing him. And I think that day with Zacchaeus, there was a day, he was experiencing some, something there. Was there ridicule as they're going through the crowd? Was there booze? Was there a little heckling going on there? Was Jesus now being kind of looked down on now? Because, no, I told you, he's the friend of publicans and sinners. Look at this guy. Why shouldn't we be? Sometimes we get this mentality that we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Now, look, I know that we need to use discernment. And if we come out of a pass of alcohol and a pass of drug abuse, you don't want to gravitate right away back into that community. It might be a trigger and you'll fall back into it. But to say God brought you out of that in order never to touch the world again, I think that's wrong. Go into the world is what Jesus commanded us. Making disciples, baptizing, loving the unlovable, reaching out. The blessings will be yours. I was doing the uh, thing in 9-11 and I came out. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. Bobby Rice and I and the, the New Jersey Critical Incident Stress Team. And so we just done our tour. We're coming out. We're filthy, man. We had went into a little deli and I ordered this Reuben sandwich. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in New York and ordered a Reuben sandwich. There's something wrong with those people. I, I think they think they're feeding all New York. This thing was huge. They graced us out. They gave us our meal for free. But I couldn't even eat a, a half of this. So I didn't know what to do with it. I'm going back into down ground zero again. I don't know what to do. So I walk out and there's this homeless guy sitting on the crate. And I reached over to him and I said, hey, buddy. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, how would you like a hot Reuben sandwich? This guy looked at me. He goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Blessing people, not being afraid of people. Take a drug addict in your arms and pray over them. Take the prostitute, just tell her how much God loves her. 
you know, and God's got a plan. That's somebody's daughter you're ministering to. Amen, guys? We're called to be different. We're not, hey, you know, I know I'm off the trail here. We're not called to build big churches. Did you know that? We're not called to build mega churches. Jesus turned the world upside down with just 12 fellas. And we got a little more than that here today. And I'm all, all I'm asking you, let's turn up West Effort upside down for Jesus or your community, wherever you live, right? No, I love him, man. So he values human souls. And again, um, if you look at, at verse 5 again, there's always something to pull out of verse 5. Um, it says, again, Jesus came to his place. He looks up. He sees Zacchaeus. Um, you know, there are people who will never, ever step into church. They won't. There is this crazy idea out in the world today that they have to become good people in order to go to church. Jesus didn't come to make good people better. That's such a lie from the enemy. And the church has embraced this, you know. Stop drinking and come to church. No. Stop getting high and come to church. No. Look, I don't want you to come staggering in here. But that's not what Jesus said. This is a hospital. This is where people need to come. To hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he can still save a person, heal a person. There's a lot of my brothers in this room right now where he has taken us from dope to hope. He's placed us into his glorious light. And we have been changed. And we've been doing this for years. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have to get rid of this notion that people have to become better in order for them to come in here. No, Jesus is looking for the sick and the dying. Spiritually speaking. And he wants us to come as we are. You know, I always use this cra- crazy illustration. We are to be fishers of men. How many know that? Raise your hand if you know you're to be a fisher of men. Okay. What fisherman ever went fishing, had got a hooked something, as he's reeling it in, it's coming up in a frying pan, it's been descaled, it's in butter, all ready to eat. And there it is. I caught a fish. You, you bring these things up. Personally, I think they stink before and even after you cook them. And you got to descale them. You got to clean them. Well, that, well, that's what the Lord does with us. He catches us in the muck and the mire of our lives. And then he begins to descale us. And he washes us. And he cleanses us. Cleanses us. And then the years later down, we have butter <laughs> you get my point guys listen Zach says come with me Jesus and Jesus went he wasn't afraid to to associate himself with the lost and sometimes we get so spiritually mindful that we forget last night not to keep bringing that up I had the greatest time. They weren't all believers, but they were my old friends. Some of them were heathens. Some of them might have had a little few, too many brewskis. But I was able to talk with them. They wanted to know what happened to me and, and able to pray over the meal. It was glorious, guys, but that's who God sends us to. He sends us to the Zacchaeuses of the world. No matter what rap the world has given them, the rap you and I need to know is for God so loved them that he gave. Amen, guys? Again, the, the kingdom is not based on time. It's based on souls. Um, to make this point clear and before the worship team comes back up. We had said earlier that our goal should be to become more like Jesus. Not sinless. That's not going to happen this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, we will be. Amen? But we are to be like him. We are to mimic, you know, mirror him as it were. And the reason why I know that wherever Jesus went, he didn't go in just to partake of 
their filthiness or their depravity. He went in with a message of holiness. Not holiness like you and I think of it. But a message that you can be different. God can change you. You don't have to stay like this. There was rhyme and reasons why Jesus would enter into a group of publicans and sinners. And that is to bring them out of darkness. Jesus never wants us to flirt with the idea that we can become unrighteous in order to bring people into the church. It's a very deep concern I have for the church today in Christendom. Let's get more relative. Let's, why don't we start having um, church in bars? Why don't we do... You know, what they're trying to do is bring the church into the world where we need to bring the world into the church in order for them to be saved. So imagine Jesus' last prayer. Not his last. His last prayer was on the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But he prays this. And I want to, in closing, I just want to kind of share this prayer. It's John 17. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's praying for you and I, by the way. This is Jesus. I don't want them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the influences. They're going to be in the world, but keep them from the influence of Satan. He says, sanctify them, but sanctify them by your truth. And we know that the word is truth. That's why we do Bible studies. That's why we come together and we read our Bibles. Why? Because I'm going to send you in lambs among wolves. Not to become like them, but to draw them out. He goes on, he says, as you have sent me into the world myself, that they also may be sanctified. Um, Pardon me. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You know, he hasn't sent us into the church. You're already Christian. That's my thing about evangelism. You know, you know, back in, way back in when they used to have these revival meetings, you know, and it was always held in the church. Well, why are you evangelizing the church? I hope you guys are saved already. You know, we, we need to be evangelizing the world, not the church. And so Jesus said, he sends them into the world for their sake. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified. Even though we live in this world, we're not of the world. God, through his Holy Spirit and his word, has sanctified, separated us. That means I can go anywhere in this world, spirit-led, without the fear that, oh my goodness, am I going to be drawn back into this lifestyle? Guess what, guys? I had zero temptations getting drunk last night. <laughs> I, it's just, I just love being around people. So these people say, I don't want to go back in. Now, I get it. If you've got an, an alcoholic background, if you've got a drug addiction, yeah, you wait for God's timing on that. I get that. But just to ostracize ourselves from the world because we're the church? No. Jesus said, no, I send you into the world. I send you into it. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they might also be uh, sanctified by the truth. Listen. No way does carnality bridge a, a, a gap between the world and the church. Being carnal does not do it. You know what does it? Don't, don't get me. It is holiness. It's living a sanctified life apart from the world. But that's what's attractive to people like Zacchaeus. When they see he saw something in Jesus, he climbs this sycamore tree. He then sees it. Come on down, Zach. We're going to have dinner at your place. He gets him. He's excited. He gets home and he has Jesus. I don't know what the conversation was. All of a sudden, we see that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' household. And he was even a son of Abraham, meaning he was Jewish. That's what salvation looks like, gang. And Jesus wants us to reach our Zacchaeus. Would you stand with me, please? Man, I love you guys. You know, it's easy to do this with you guys. It really is. You know, and it's... You know, I start to teach and I start to 
expound on the scriptures. You guys are like little sponges, you know. Some of you's not off, but I'll wait for you to wake up. But no, with all joking aside, I know that when you come here, Richie opens us up in prayer and we start to sing. and The Holy Spirit starts to move among us. If some people come to the Lord, you know, first time. If you're here, that's easy. Whoever confesses with his mouth believes in his heart. He shall be saved. But the church is a place for us to learn together. And I hope what you've learned today is that God has Zacchaeus in our lives and he wants us to reach him. Even if you got to take him out, give him a burger. Sit down, talk with them. Don't be afraid to tell them, come out from among them. Lord, we thank you. and We just praise you for your word. We thank you for the opportunities that you have given us, Lord, and we pray for many more. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us of pride. Lord, I pray we never think that we're better than anyone in this planet. For many of us, Lord, it's oh, but by the grace of God go there I. We would all be still, meandering in this world, lost, confused. But somehow, God, you reached down from heaven. You found us. And here we are, one of your sons or daughters. It still blows my mind. It blew my mind 1973, and it's blowing my mind still today. Oh, we love you, Lord. Commit our hearts to you and pray for opportunity to, to reach our Zacchaeuses. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Let's worship. <laughs>